Welcome back to the Ask Different Podcast. This is episode number 16, recorded October 15th, 2011. I'm Kyle Cronin. I'm Jason Solis. I'm Nathan Greenstein, and we have a special guest today. What's your name? My name is Siri. But you knew that already. Oh, I did. Hi, Siri. Welcome to the show. Hi, Siri. Hi, Siri. So, Siri, what are you? I am Siri. That's that's very interesting, but what are you for? I'm here to help. Just ask what can I say and I'll show you what I can do. Oh, well, all right. What can I say? Interesting. I can say things like, call Jason, play the light of the sun, tell Susan I'll be right there, set up a meeting at nine, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, that's very interesting. Let's try this out. Send an email to Nathan. Which Nathan? Web Nathan or Nathan Greenstein? Greenstein. Which email address for Nathan Greenstein? Home. Which phone number for Nathan Greenstein? Oh, okay, so it heard my home is call. Uh, cancel. Try, uh, okay. call me Shirley. <clears throat> okay, um, Siri? Call me Shirley. From now on, I'll call you Shirley, okay? <laughs> Sounds great. Nathan, I don't understand. Sounds great. I can't make changes to your contacts. You can do it in the contacts app, though. Well, okay. I, I don't need to make any changes. I just called you Nathan. <laughs> what, you don't want to be called Shirley every time? Surely you must be joking. No, I said sounds great, and it didn't like that. Oh. Okay, Aren't let's try just- that section. But you're not supposed again. to. Isn't that because you're not supposed to continue hitting the button? You're just supposed to converse. Oh, I have been conversing. It does the sound automatically. Oh. Okay, so let's try that section again. So, uh, Siri, call me Shirley. From now on, I'll call you Shirley. Okay. Yep. <laughs> okay. Okay, Shirley. What's next? <laughs> there we so, go so surely <laughs> um try asking it something like um like a like a wolf or alpha thing like what is the speed of an unladen swallow okay what is the speed of an unladen swallow okay here you go Estimated average cruising airspeed of an unladen European swallow, 25 miles per hour. Unit it picked European? That's not the one I wanted. Uh, African. <laughs> we need African. the African, yeah. European, okay. Uh, okay. African unladen swallow. What is the average flying speed of an African swallow? I didn't get the unladen part, but I, I bet it'll Let me think about that. How about a web search for no. what is the average uh, flying speed of an African swallow? Try one more time. Uh, try cruising. What is the flying speed of an unladen African swallow? Let me think. I can't answer that, nope, but I could web. search the web for it uh, if you the like. First one, the first one's fine. We were. You need to watch Monty Python again. Mm. It's just playing on the jokes. No, I remember the joke, but I thought it would be cool if we could get more. Spe- I don't know. Okay, so should I like demo a reminder, or people already know that part? Eh, we can try that. Okay. 
make a new reminder for tomorrow at 3.05 p.m. that mom is driving carpool. Here's your reminder for tomorrow at 3.05 p.m. It says, at 3.05 p.m. at mom's driving carpool. Shall I create it? Cancel. Ten-year-olds have never been so organized. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious, uh, Nathan. Um, you sort of just I don't know if you discovered this or you mentioned it to me at least that you can access Siri when the device is locked. Right. Can you lock your device and then we'll see just how much we can mess with it? Sure. I have to re-enable Siri at the lock screen. So right, bear right. with me a moment. Okay, here we go. So I just woke up the iPhone. It says slide to unlock. If I slide, it gives me a password a password field. So I say cancel. Right. Hold the home button. Siri, send a text to Nathan. Which Nathan? Web Nathan or Nathan Greenstein? Nathan Greenstein. Which phone number or email address should I use for Nathan? Home. Home. Which phone number for Nathan Greenstein? Okay, so that, it did that again. Let's try again. It it heard my home as call. Let's. I'll I'll, I'll try calling someone. I'll, I'll text someone who only has one number in my phone. That'll be easy. Try try send a text to Nathan Greenstein at home. Okay. Send a text to Nathan Greenstein at home. What do you want to say to Nathan Greenstein? Nathan, I hate you, and I never want to see you again. <laughs> I updated your message. It says, Nathan, I hate you and I never want to see you again. <laughs> Ready to send it? No. No, send it. Come on. It's my, I, that, that, it's my home to number. To continue, I can't take a text. you can oh, okay. send, cancel, review. Cancel. Okay, I won't send it. Can you, uh, <laughs> but, de- can you like, delete address book and reminder things? No, I can't. I can't play with contacts. Let's see if it can... Um, do I have any reminders set? Let me see. Or like um, like calendar stuff. Calendar stuff. Um, I don't oh, even, you I don't... you created the carpool thing? No, he, he no, I canceled it. it. You canceled that. Here, I'll Something I'll make a new reminder. It. Okay. Delete reminder. Test reminder. Is your phone locked? Sorry, I am having trouble connecting to uh, the network. Okay, I'll reset it again. Well, all right. Actually, this is this is good because to our podcast listeners, we actually spent quite a bit of time before the show trying to get uh, Siri to work. Uh, I don't know if it's Nathan's network or Apple's servers or, or whatever, but for some reason, periodically Siri would just completely stop working. And this is this is actually one of the big perils of Siri, especially when it uh, supersedes voice control, because voice control can be used anywhere. It doesn't require a network connection. So you can go and you can say, you know, play songs by the Beatles. But with Siri, if you don't have that network connection, you are out of luck. Yeah, even as as we found out, even asking Siri what it does, what its name is, or what have you, apparently does some require some kind of network connectivity, because when we were having this problem, we couldn't even get that that hello feature to work 
right? So without without a network connection, Siri is actually less capable than voice control. <laughs> Siri seems like one of those things that could be really interesting until you say that thing and it just doesn't understand what you're trying to say. Or you, you try to say something and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble connecting to the network. And, you know, I've got I've got the space on the phone, at least at this point, that I would almost, it would be worth the space to me to fill up whatever six gigabytes of, of Siri. You mean like have like an offline kind of version of Siri? Yeah. Well, I think there's also a lot of like distributed processing involved where, honestly, I, I can't say too much, but probably just to get the speed, you know, it really has to have like a really fast CPU for like a quarter of a second, you know? That's true. But I mean, you're absolutely right. I think that what they should do is they should have a fallback that's like, well, you know, all right, we can't connect to the network, so it's not going to be as fast as we want it to do to, to be. But we'll fall back and let you do some of the stuff that you you know you might want to do. Yeah, I mean, as we've already seen right now, it's it's really unfortunate that you can't issue local commands that are just recognized uh, when when the network's not available. If the network's not available within a couple of seconds, play the information that's stored locally and say perhaps also always give the network status. But uh, as we demoed with voice control in the previous episode, there's no reason why some of that stuff needs to be uploaded. It's still in beta, but it's it's kind of interesting that like I said, in areas where you don't have any internet connectivity or network connectivity for whatever reason, I realize that's sort of getting increasingly rare. But if you want any sort of voice control in those circumstances, you're better off buying an iPhone 4 instead of an iPhone 4S. It's kind of crazy. And if you're pinched on your data plan or you've got a slow carrier, you know, it, it would be actually wait something you, rather than nothing. You can turn Siri off, right? Yeah, you can turn it off all the way. So turn it off and then hold the See home button. See if voice control kicks Yeah, in. That's I'm exactly what I was just going to suggest. Here's voice control. Nice. Is it, is, so it is Starting face. <laughs> no, no FaceTime. Hmm? Play music by the Beatles. Oh, okay. I, I, I said, here's voice control, and it said, oh, calling somebody whose name yeah. sounded like that. Yep. <laughs> you, you have someone in your context that, whose name sounds like voice control? Play music by the Beatles. Playing songs by the Beatles. Oh, okay. Better. I, I'm that. That's that's functional. It's still kind of a shame that it's all or nothing, but still, that's functional. Mm-hmm. Well, at least it's it's good that they've got the fallback in there. Yeah. Very so it's not completely necessary, but totally useless. Well, and I would say that even for the the majority of the time, it will be working, and you will have a network connection. And for that time, it really is useful. And, you know, I found Siri itself to be less uh, less helpful to me than just the transcription thing. Because the transcription is, you know, partly I'm new to the keyboard, but also it's just a lot faster to be able to say things. And really, I've been able to dictate whole emails without any problems. Or if there and is a problem... without any punctuation. <laughs> no, you can say punctuation. When you, the, the, the test that we had made, you didn't use any punctuation whatsoever. Oh, yeah, because I was being lazy. <laughs> I was being lazy there, but if you if you do want punctuation, you just say you know period comma new line that sort of thing. So I've I've dictated whole emails with very few problems, and if there is a problem, generally it underlines the word with blue dots, and you can tap the word and it gives you the other options. So like my brother's name is Lewis. If I say call or if I say you know an email to Lewis and I have it transcribe his name, then I can it'll spell it wrong, but I can tap it and choose the correct spelling. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um... I was watching the video with Jason Snell and he was using the um, basically speech to text feature of it. 
And he was just, he, he was basically saying the punctuation period question mark. Like he, he, he's been used to it all this time. Like I imagine that he's probably been using speech to text for a while in various incarnations. And he's just used to saying, what is the weather like today? Question mark, new line. It becomes second nature to just sort of say those, those, uh, those punctuation things. And it kind of reminds me of, um, back when telegraphs, you know, used to exist, you know, you'd have like something, 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 stop, something, 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 stop, you know, where those stops would be actually periods between the sentences, but people were, you know, would get used to saying the stop and just kind of a kind of neat. It feels, it feels strange at first, but dictating an email, you very quickly get into the rhythm of just saying the punctuation as it comes. And it's not, doesn't feel weird even after halfway through the first email. The one problem that I had, and I don't know if I'm doing it wrong or not, but I can't put in like a new paragraph. If I say new line, it puts in a line break and I say new line again and it ignores me. That's the only thing I don't like. Oh, that's and my, Maybe I'm doing it wrong. I don't know. I've only tried it once or twice. I thought I had seen something pretty specifically about e- either start a new paragraph or just new paragraph. Okay, I should, I should try that. But the other, my, my feature request is some form of every five seconds of talking analyze that and put it into the text field because it's a little annoying to be you know speaking for 45 seconds and then have it be one big job at the end to convert it all and see what it heard and maybe it would be somewhat processor intensive to be listening and processing at the same time but it seems like that would improve the user experience somewhat well it is it's also sending it up to the cloud as well right so i mean I yeah but it, it could it could break it up into you no, know, yeah, no, I completely, of... I completely agree. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, instead of the cloud just soaking it all in until you tell it to stop, it should be, you know, the cloud should be saying, okay, well, we understand this, so we're going to send it back. We're going to understand this, we're going to send it back. And it won't be instantaneous because, you know, if you start saying like question, I mean, obviously you could be saying the word question or you could start, be starting to say question mark. So right. there will be a little bit of delay, but I mean, there are many speech to text programs that will do that where you'll yeah. basically be looking at your screen and, you'll sort of see the words slowly coming in. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's a mobile device. You, you don't, I don't necessarily expect it to do that, but even every five seconds, if it finds a word break and submits that five seconds worth, those words, I think probably wouldn't be too terribly hard to do. And it would make it seem that much fancier. And it has to be, it has to find a word boundary. It has to find a break in order to actually do it because exactly in the, in the example Kyle just gave, question mark or exclamation mark right if it, but if they've it already cuts it off after it. question you get the word if you if it gets question mark then it gives you the punctuation but they've already solved those things because when it transcribes or when you're using the the main siri app it it lets you do that kind of thing you know it it, it knows where the word breaks are because but it my, puts spaces but my in. point is is that if it chunks it like that based i i i'm i'm delving very much into detail that probably doesn't really need to be gone into at this point but what i'm saying is that if it's purely time based then you might have words cut off. Again, this is a question. Right. As opposed to, this is a question mark. Right. So the, if, it, if it just cuts off after the question, but it was actually supposed to be the punctuation, then you're going to get a bad result. Right. So the, the solution would be to find a word boundary and Or like the, submit the, their, do, it, do it every time you say new paragraph or new line for that matter. Yeah. Even Break it there like and move on. Yeah. But they've already solved like the new the, the word boundary problem because it puts mm-hmm. spaces in. Right. You know, I bet they could do it if they felt like it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's probably one of those things where it's on their list of uh, things that would be nice to have, mm-hmm. but weren't essential for the uh, for the initial release. Yep. the 
theory I've really had problems with it is um, just playing with Wolfram Alpha, trying to do math stuff, and it completely fails with anything involving parentheses. Like there are various, you know, you say of, you say times, you say quantity of, it doesn't, it, it transcribes it, it, it doesn't put in the parentheses. And so, the, you know, the theory would be that it would detect a bunch of numbers and go into some kind of a math mode where parentheses was transcribed to a actual parentheses symbol. But I, I haven't seen that. Wolverine Alpha is typically pretty good about trying to figure out what you mean even without parentheses. Like, it has some pretty good natural language recognition. The big problem I have with World from Alpha is it returns an image. So Siri can't then take that image and then, you know, give the answer back to you verbally. So, you know, you can't be, oh. say, I don't know, running like they show that guy doing in, in one of those Apple videos and have him say, uh, what is the square root of 971? And then Siri says, well, I found this thing that might answer it for you. And you're like, that's great. Can you tell me? Well, no, I can't. Sorry. Yeah. Especially strange considering the availability, like on uh, the text and latex side on Stack Exchange, the uh, I believe it's called math. I think they call it math jacks for That's the markup and whatnot. Tech and and latex, and that would and, and the of course it would be tech and latex on the latex site, and the math jacks would be on the math Stack Exchange site. Math jack. <laughs> but it's an x <laughs> x chopped in half honestly i don't know what what m-a-t-h-j-a-x i don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that but if it's anything like latex it should be uh <laughs> math jack <laughs> you're probably right uh, but at any rate the point remains that there's some very sophisticated equations and whatnot that math users put in and there's some very significant formatting capabilities that the tech and latex users do as well. And to, for, for, for Wolfram Alpha to launch generating most everything as an image is definitely strange. Well, I, the, the theory I've heard is that uh, Wolfram Alpha does not want other people scraping their service or you know embedding it, basically. And um, there was that whole snafu that when they... When they launched the iPhone app, they also got rid of the mobile website, uh, and the the mobile the app version cost a couple of bucks or something like that. I so they they was, regressed the web. Wasn't it? It was it was actually more than a couple of bucks, wasn't it? It was like really expensive. I think it's a couple of bucks. Well, I I think it, it either it's free or a couple of bucks now. But I think when they initially uh. introduced it, I think they tried to. Honestly, Maybe I like could, thirty or fifty or something. Yeah, like that. that sounds a little familiar. I guess Wolf I don't really remember off the top of my head. Alpha iPhone app app shopper will tell you the price history. Oh, fifty dollars was what yeah, they wanted for it initially. Right. <laughs> Wolfram Alpha launched his fifty dollar iPhone app. That was uh, actually that was almost exactly two years ago, October eighteenth, two thousand nine. All right, um, but yeah, 50, two bucks. fifty bucks. Fifty bucks for an app that just seems ludicrous. That was free from the web, and really, you could still use from the web. It's just a little bit, you know, large and kind of nasty on the iPhone screen. Yeah, Wolfram Alpha is one of those things where it's like, oh, this is really neat to play with, but you know, if if you're like, well, how much would you pay for this? You're kind of like, well, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> so I, I'm sure I a lot of people that needed help with their homework did. <laughs> Well, they can buy Mathematica. <laughs> That's a lot more than 50 bucks, though. <laughs> true, true. 
So, Nathan, this is your first iOS device. It is. Was there anything that surprised you about it? I know you've done a lot of reading on Ask Different and What Else about iOS, but actually owning the device, is there anything you're like, oh, well, I, I, did, I didn't know it did that? or I, Well, I knew it did that, but I didn't know it was so awesome. The screen. The screen is so bright and so pretty, and the colors are so nice, and the, the touch screen is so precise, and it's smooth and like coming from my my android tablet thingy it's a big upgrade and the screen is my favorite part that's i consistently am amazed by that and that is the the one thing that you know the main thing the coming from android the one thing i miss is that on on an android device i don't know how widespread this is or if it's just uh the nook or what but i think it must be a, a global thing on the standard letter keyboard you can start with your finger in the middle and swipe straight up. And once you leave the keyboard, two extra rows of keys appear with like common symbols and stuff. And that's actually, I found that useful for stuff like question marks and, you know, it had a row of numbers, that sort of thing. So I, I liked that, not having to switch keyboards, just being able to kind of swipe up and then release your finger on top of the key you wanted. So I missed that, but I can deal with the, the menus. There's actually a shortcut with the extra keyboards that you might not know about in that case. If you press and hold on the one, two, three button and swipe over to the question mark and then let go, it will revert the keyboard back to the QWERTY keyboard after the fact. It will insert the question mark and then revert to the QWERTY keyboard. Oh, that's cool. Still not quite as easy as being on the QWERTY keyboard and swiping up and releasing to get it, but it's better than better than tap, 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 tap. tap. So you swipe up and then the new keys appear. And then once, Mm -hmm. once you release, does the, do the new keys disappear? Yeah, you swipe up, the oh. new keys appear under your finger, and then you release on top of the letter, the, the symbol you want, and the the new keys disappear, and the symbol's been inserted. That I, could I, be I like handy. that a lot. Yeah, yeah, that is very handy. I know a fair amount of applications have a little additional row or two of extra keys. Like, notably, uh, Mobile Mouse is an application I use to control a computer plugged into our TV that I use as a media center. And uh, it has, like, the, the Apple Meta Keys Control-Alt command. Uh, and mm-hmm. then it has arrow keys and a couple of others that just permanently reside on top of the standard keyboard. Yeah, I, I think it would be a cool feature for, for global stuff. But in overall terms, the keyboard is a lot more precise than the, the Android one. And I like the, the feedback, the letter showing up big instead of just highlighting. And I, I like it. It, it seems the, the, the OS overall seems a lot more polished. And you know, of course, disclaimer, I'm, I'm using Android 2.1, maybe 2.2. On, on a Nook. Yeah, on a Nook. So it's it's not... I'm, I'm certainly not experiencing Android to the full extent that you could. But, I, you know, so things like the animations. Part of it was that the animations were choppy on the Nook, but there were only a few animations. The iPhone, everything is animated. I like that. Some people don't like that, but I think it's nice. Yeah, that's one of the things about Android. The very first iPhone that came out in 2007 had all had all, tons of animations and they were all super smooth you know you could like swipe between home screens although that wasn't actually part of the initial i think there was ios 2 that introduced apps and then multiple home screens but it was all it was all super fluid and smooth and everything was just very very polished and you know the android phones that came out then they you know they were kind of you know janky and stuttery and stuff and you thought well you know, they're they're just sort of getting their bearings. But I don't think it's that big of a deal now. But up to at least a year ago, there were like you could you could walk into Verizon and you could pick up like a like a their demo droid incredible or something or droid X. And then, you know, you just be swiping between the home screens and it would just be like stuttering like crazy. 
or like, you know, you're trying to trying to scroll a web page and all of a sudden it'll hit something and you know, it'll it'll snag a little bit. And that stuff is really jarring. And so, you know, anytime I like go in and I, I, I to a store and I, I occasionally like will play with an Android phone, I'm always amazed at, you know, oh, it's it's gotten better, but there's still it's not quite there, you know, granted they're they do more. There are all those gadgets or widgets or whatever on on those home screens, you know, and and just by the nature of the operating system, it's just doing more in the background in general. But still, the operating system Android has not been optimized for fluidity of motion. Does it does not have like GPU optimizations for that kind of stuff, which is, I think, unfortunate, and it, it really shows. And this is the fragmentation argument, is that you can't do that, especially because of the breadth of hardware and the chipset underneath. I remember reading the Anantech and other uh, other sites that did, like, SunSpider, Geekbench, and all of the various web rendering, video rendering, to the extent that you actually can on these devices. And they were saying that even though the 4S is a 1 gigahertz processor underclocked to 800 megahertz, and things like the... I want to say the competitors, maybe the Evo or something along the, the Evo 4G or something along those lines, which is above one gigahertz yet because of the granularity and optimization and everything else that is done in iOS, the 4S beat it by a measurable margin. And even with lower spec resources, less less RAM too. I think if I remember correctly, the Evo 4G has a one gig of RAM. 4S officially as of release only has half a gig and then as I said, 800 megahertz versus over one gigahertz. Yeah, it's telling when you watch those those like Droid commercials, and they're like, "New the Droid Ultimate Borg Edition," and they were they're like, "It has a 1.2 gigahertz dual core Snapdragon ALU processor with one gigabyte of memory," and it's it's like, okay, all right, okay, it's got these fairly impressive specs, but. What does that tell you about what it can do? Whereas you look at an iPhone ad, and it's not about, oh, we have, you know, an A5. Oh, we have a, uh, you know, a dual-core processor. It's about, okay, we have something where you can take better pictures. You know, we have something where, uh, you know, we've got X, Y, and Z. You know, it's like it, they they relate it better to what people actually want to do with their phones, and I think that if the Android people could do that, if the Android people could say, look, you know, this is better than the iPhone at sharing your pictures with your grandchildren or whatever, grandparents, um, whatever, they would, but they can't. So they, they stick to specs. They can. They, there's no reason why they can't. Uh, it's, it's marketing. They're, they're, they're continuing this marketing because they think that it works. For some people, it absolutely does, but I don't think that's the vast majority. Mm-hmm. And even Apple doesn't go too far into specs outside of keynotes, and even then, they don't drill in as much as some of these commercials do. Some some Android commercials and like PC commercials from back in the day and whatnot. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it 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 also sort of tries to play on the mentality that you you would see about buying a, like a, a PC or a computer, where people were taught to buy the one with the biggest numbers. It's like, well, this one has, you know, 500 megahertz. This one only has four. But oh, well, but this has 64 gigs of memory. And this one only has uh, megabytes of memory. And this one has 40. And well, okay, well, maybe this one has, uh, you know, a a two gigabyte hard drive. And this one has a 1.5. And, you know, you just sort of take the average of like all those numbers. And you say, well, this one has um, in aggregate more of the higher end numbers. Therefore, I will buy this thing. And that was oh, the way you bought your computer for 
20 years. And I think that that's what phone manufacturers are doing. They're sort of trying to get people to think about buying a phone in the same way to say, okay, well, you know, this droid X has a 4.3 inch screen and it has an eight megapixel camera that shoots 1080p video. And, you know, it has a 1.2 gigahertz processor with a gigabyte of RAM. Therefore, it is the best phone. And it has two cameras and shoots in 3D, <laughs> yeah. which will illustrate it with a very boring ping pong game and an overzealous dad. Oh, that commercial annoyed me so badly. I think this is all a big part of it for sure. But there's also kind of, I think, an element of just the focus of the optimization. Because Apple has always cared a lot more about animation and that sort of thing than other companies. Even even if you look at Mac OS X, the, the core animation stuff is, is very smooth, very optimized, and also very accessible to developers. They you can tell that they want you to use it. And the WebKit animation CSS stuff is very smooth and very very fluid. You know, compared to the Mozilla and the Opera CSS animation, it's you can just tell they spent more time on it. And I think it's just a bigger priority for them. You know, I don't know if this is just because I'm used to the way the iPhone does it, but occasionally I will, like I said, I'll use an Android phone or I'll, I'll go to like a website, just like a, a mobile website that usually it's something that Google's made and they'll have something that t- kind of tries to mimic a native app. And it's like, oh, you can scroll. So you, you know, you, you do the flick for the scroll, but like it's, you know, the way that it sort of de- decays the scroll velocity is, you know, it does not match the way that uh, iOS does decays the scroll velocity. And to me, it just feels wrong, you know? And I think that it's more than just the fact that I'm used to the way iOS does it. I think that it is something that Apple, like, took a lot of time and, and measured people's expectations uh, for, for how something like this, like, like almost like spinning... Uh, like I have a, a scroll wheel, a free spinning scroll wheel on my MX Revolution mouse. And when you spin that, you know, it spins freely, but it's it gradually slows down. And it slows down at a very sort of predictable rate because I think we've got something like hardwired in our brains that sort of knows, okay, well, if it's if it's going this fast and it's slow, slowing down at this, and, and you, you sort of gauge the, the, the slowing down rate, you, you sort of are able to know when to stop it at the right time. It's the wheels on a bike. It's the wheels on a car. It's the things that we see in nature. Exactly. I, I just looked up my, at my fan and I thought, hmm, that decays at a pretty predictable rate when we shut it off. Right. So, you know, so I think iOS tries to mimic that as much as possible, which is why it feels really intuitive to just sort of, you, you're, you're in your, your contacts and you know approximately how hard you have to flick it in order to get to uh, <laughs> the contact that you want. But then you're, you know, you go into like a, an Android app or you go into a Google mobile app and you just sort of flick and it just sort of spins and spins and spins and spins and it feels like there's no friction on there. <laughs> and yes, it slows down eventually, but it just, it does not feel like, it does not feel like a physical object. It feels very much like you're manipulating an interface, which is unlike iOS where it really does, you know, they, they do everything possible to make you feel like you are physically manipulating what is going on on the screen. And you want to talk about something simple but ridiculously polished. Uh, Nathan, you remember when we were going through Panic's blog and they had, I don't even remember what the meat of the entry was, but they had an entry that looked like a paper on a community billboard with the tear-off strips at the bottom. Right. And right. that was, I just remember how surprised you were that when you moused over those tear strips, how it just kind of lifted off. It added a shadow and mm-hmm. then it went 3D. 
and you were yeah. looking for JavaScript events and all these fancy handlers, and it just turned out to be just a little bit of CSS3 that was added recently. Yeah, and it, it was like two properties, WebKit that's got like a 3D transform thing and, a, uh, of course, the shadow thing. And it's, yeah, I guess Apple is pretty good about giving these things to developers in a way that is accessible and performs well. Because if you use something like jQuery to, say, scroll an image, you know, you've, you've got like a, a little header image that's very long and like scrolls. If, if you do that with jQuery, it takes a lot of CPU, it's kind of chunky. And if you try to start another animation, like you've got a drop down navigation menu, that one's very chunky because it's already doing something. But if you use WebKit animations, it's very nice. It's just, it's, it's smooth and it's natural. And of course, that's, that's more a difference between C or whatever WebKit's written in and, uh, and JavaScript. But, you know, the concept of, of putting that in is, I, I think it's great. <laughs> I appreciate Going back to advertising really quick, uh, I was watching Windows Weekly on This Week in Tech on Friday and I caught it about halfway in, but there was a really, really interesting article, uh, a really interesting story that they started talking about. They were talking about Microsoft's next big ad campaign is actually going to be exactly what Apple and Google did. Apple, historically speaking, has always had some kind of a family context with their new devices, you know, showing off the camera, showing off FaceTime, uh, showing, showing off the new baby to the father that couldn't travel, I think was one of the iconic ones about a year and a half ago, or as of, uh, you know, as of the iPhone 4's release. And they, Paul Thorat and Mary Jo Foley were talking about Microsoft's new ad campaign being about it's, it's good to be in a family, something along those lines. And they were talking about how, well, you already have an Xbox. How about a Windows PC to play your music? And how about an office application to give a presentation? And it, it, it was just really interesting because the difference, the, the difference in culture, the difference in design, the difference in, the difference in thought, Mary Jo Foley laid out a bunch of different things. She was talking about how, again, the, the play on words, the family, well, it's the Microsoft family. You have a Windows phone that stores your achievements equally with the, uh, with the Xbox, and then, uh, as I said, a computer to play media and whatnot, and how a kid wants a dog, and he makes a PowerPoint presentation and presents it to his family. The funniest, dead serious, uh, go look it up, twit.tv slash WW, uh, the most recent episode, I, I don't recall the episode number, but it was it was just hilarious to me, because Paul Thorat just completely trashed every single thing about this advertising campaign. He said, if I have a Windows phone with media on it, and I plug it into my Xbox, nothing happens. The only way to play remote media is with that Windows media player extender, whatever it's called. And and he said, if my kid ever presented a PowerPoint presentation to me, I, I don't even remember exactly what he said, but it was basically knock it off. That this is this is the worst idea that you've ever had. Not the dog idea, but the PowerPoint idea. <laughs> and you, you you talk to your family for crying out loud. You don't put a computer in between you and outline flowchart diagram terrible clip art your thoughts onto a canvas this is kind of funny um i I agreed with him entirely and it just cracked me up this is actually bringing back something that i had long forgotten but um and you're gonna think that i'm a huge huge nerd but we're well past that point okay um so (laughs) so um i my first handheld um, electronic device was the Palm M100. 
And that that worked well for a few years. Then when I was a sophomore in high school, it was really sort of getting on. It was the screen was tiny. It was, you know, kind of grayscale. And I was really looking at these new pocket PCs that were coming out. And so I needed a way to convince my parents to let me buy one because I think I think I actually had the money at that point. So the way I did that was I made a PowerPoint presentation about all the benefits of this new device and why I needed one. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So basically my agreeance and Paul Therott is completely wrong is the moral of this story. Um, He's he's not wrong in the sense that now that I look back at that, that was like, why why did I even do that? (laughs) Well, did it work? It did. Yeah, I got the... It was a Toshiba E310. It was actually a really, really good device for its time. And yes, I know nobody's interested, but I could regale all my my device history and why I like them anyway. But you have, I have <laughs> repeatedly. I well, I actually, I believe, I believe I did excessively on one of the one of the shows that one of our one of our test calls before we actually <laughs> published the shows. And uh, looking back at it, I'm like, all right, Kyle, you've been going on for ten minutes about your tungsten T5. I think I. I don't think people are interested anymore. <laughs> um, and I've made I've made a similar point with this in advertising before, and I think the point is is that it's it's just not the crowd that they're trying to get. A lot of people attribute Apple's success to the fact that they are generally broad and cater to the vast majority of people. Uh, I don't believe I've ever said it on the show, but something that I tell my that I tell my coworkers and whatnot whenever we're talking about video games and whatnot is that the Wii was not the Nintendo Wii was not the best console, but it shipped with everything you needed to get started, and the games were fun. And so people that didn't want to, you know, three hundred dollar barrier to entry plus a game that they need to pick out and all of these features that they don't care about, they turn on the Wii, answer a couple of questions with this pointing device that's dead simple, and then they plug in Wii Sports that was in the box anyways, and they hit start. And it's just that simple, and it really, it is that fun. And Wii, Wii Sports would be the top-selling Wii game still to this day if it wasn't a pack-in. And like the Wii Fit and stuff, uh, very yeah. popular. Yeah. And those were, those were obviously, that was a, you know, a cost barrier to entry, but it had specific benefits, and it was advertised as such, and it was fun, and it was mostly relatively simple as long as you didn't have weird wireless interference going on but it's catered to the majority of people not because it's bitter but because it's good and they enjoy it where exactly as we already said with the android commercials and with potentially with this new microsoft campaign it's like it's all of these details that we don't care about people the vast the, the people that build those need to know these details but the people that use it just want it to work and get done yeah um like if you just look at that that video that they made for the iphone 4s I mean, I, I wrote an article that, that said it was, oh, I was rather, rather disappointed in the actual hardware of the iPhone 4S. But I think as an overall package of the iPhone 4S and iOS 5, is it's actually a really good update. And if you look at the video that they made, they do a really, really good job of demonstrating exactly when and why you would want the updated features. Like they, they have, you know, the, the, the mother that takes photos at the son's soccer game and the son comes home and pulls out his iPad and they're right there on the iPad due to photo stream. 
or the guy that's running and you know he gets a text from someone that wants to schedule a meeting and he's like schedule a meeting at 12 and, and siri's like you already have a meeting at 12 he's like all right we'll schedule it at two then and you know he so and he's continuing to run for the entire duration of that uh, of that thing it, they do a really good job of demonstrating why you'd want to have these new features whereas with android what new features does android have like in, in, for any specific device there's no actual new features there's just i don't know a spec bump of the hardware <laughs> and even when there is a new um update of of android the device manufacturers don't care about those devices that they've already sold. They're just interested in stuffing it on their new devices, which makes you very sort of reluctant to buy a new device because you feel uh, a new Android device because you feel that they're just not supporting you. Like once they have your money, you know, you are of absolutely no consequence to them whatsoever. And with Apple, you do not get that sense at all. Uh, If you bought an iPhone 3GS two over two years ago, you could today update it to iOS 5 and get most of those features that they're advertising, photo stream, all that stuff. And it, it, it is a very, you mentioned family earlier. I think it's a very good family to be in. So Jason, I'm just curious, um, what, what iOS features uh, made you smile or caught you off guard? What would be one that I could really point to as my favorite so far. What I, I it's it, it's one of those things where I knew a lot of these things were coming, but just kind of either by reading by accident or what have you, every single time I would see something that they changed, it's just like, wow. I said something really funny to myself a couple of days ago and I said, now that I have all of this stuff in my hands and I'm using it and it's functional and it's good, I'm not quite sure what I have to complain about and wait, you know, on bated breath for iOS six for. And that's still true. I'm not, I, th- there's, there's plenty of things that are going to be fantastic and they're going to be good, but I don't know what more to ask for right now. And maybe that'll come out after I've had more than, you know, three days with it. I think, I need to go look it up. <laughs> I need to <laughs> well, go look up the list because I just don't have anything specific in mind. So we, we mentioned the list Jason started a question last night on Ask Different, a community wiki question that basically people can just add their own answers to it and then vote up the ones that they like. Um, so it's basically one one tiny thing or one feature per answer, you know, post some screenshots and stuff like that. Uh, the top one right now is usage shows how much space each app is using. So if you go into your settings and then general and then usage, on iOS 5, you get a list of uh, the applications that are using the most storage. So this is, I actually posted this answer, so you can see on my, my, on my iPhone, um, the, the app that's taking up the most space is VLC 1.5 gigabytes. Uh, if you tap that, you can actually go in and delete the app. So say you, know, you, you really need space on your phone, you're like, okay, I need some space, and I need to delete something. Well, you go into the usage, and then you see what's taking up the most space, VLC. Eh, I, can just, I can just install it on iTunes later on. I have the videos on my computer at home. We're just going to delete that, and then you've got, or I, if I deleted it, I would have an extra 1.5 gigs of space. Uh, and some of them, like like music, you can actually go in and you hit music, and then you get a list of uh, of music and podcasts and stuff that are taking up space. And then if you hit the edit button, you can. There's a little minus signs where you can actually delete individual things. Uh, this is obviously not supported in all the apps, but for apps like music, it makes it really easy to say, well, oh, you know, I 
I really want to keep my podcast, but I really don't care about my Bruce Springsteen collection. You know, I can put that that on later on. I don't actually have Bruce Springsteen on my iPhone, so. And why not? You don't have to answer that. I think, (laughs) I think the one that's most interesting to me for the majority case that I use my phone for is the fact that in previous iOS versions, if I was playing something off, digitally imported or the NPR public radio app or anything along those lines at the lock screen or in the multitasking bar when you swipe to the right it would just show the name of the application and that doesn't tell me anything especially in the case of for example iScrabble's real-time player which it, it manages the audio in the application itself instead of leveraging the iPod, the iPod for it. But in iOS 5, as long as the application is updated to support it, the song information gets shown in full on the lock screen, so artist, title, album, and then just the song title shows in the multitasking bar. The problem with it so far is that I have an application that hasn't been updated since like shortly after the iPad came out, which is just called Tuner. And I'm sure there's a replacement that I could look for that'll be a heck of a lot better by now. But it's very out of date. It has its own little quirks, but it lets me tune into any arbitrary internet radio source, generally something powered by Shoutcast. And it has, if it were updated, it could pass the song information through as provided by the station, but that needs to happen. And in all honesty, I'm not expecting it. So I think the answer is to go look for a different application for that specific use case instead. Uh, But like I said, iScrabble, again, on this question, on Ask Different, that we'll have a link to, Uh, I showed two screenshots that on the lock screen, again, it shows artist, title, and album. But in the multitasking bar and the media functions, it doesn't show the music app icon. It shows iScrabble's icon, but the song title is there. And that's so much more helpful than an app name that obviously doesn't tell you anything in particular. Yeah, it's one of those things that just would not make it to any sort of list of features, but it's one of those little additions that you're like, this is, you know, they... They went through the entire operating system. They, for each little bit, they said, how can we make this even better? And it really shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the usage one is, is my favorite. I also like the, the swipe to the camera to view the photo roll. Uh, so you can just, you know, you can swipe. I'm, I don't know which direction. Maybe both work. But if you're, if you're on the camera, you can just swipe and then you see like the last photo that you took and just keep swiping back to see the previous photos. And when you're done, you can just, you know, swipe all the way to the... I don't know. Is it left or right? <laughs> the association that I've made with this so far is consider the camera the most recent picture you've taken. And if you swipe from left to right, you go through your pictures, the, the most recent to the oldest. So the camera, the camera is quite obviously the latest picture you've taken. Oh, so it's all the way on the right then. Correct. Okay, cool. So, uh, Nathan, um, I realize that you have not actually had any iOS devices before, but is there something that maybe... Caught you off guard? About iOS 5 relative to the other operating systems, or just in general? Either way. Well, I mentioned animations. That's a big part. Well, the the one little thing that's not not at all an iOS 5 thing, it's just a general thing, is the scrolling, where if you scroll, it keeps up with you completely, and it even changes speed based on how fast your finger moves. And I thought that was cool. That, you know, I'm, I'm sure that was just the Nook being underpowered, but... The other touchscreen device that I've used didn't do that, and it felt really nice to have something do that because it's that's the main place where I felt like it was lagging and not listening to me. But I, yeah, I, I like that. Um, but that's in no way special to iOS five. But it is something that someone coming from Android, you know, they're they're delighted by it. 
Well, again, I don't. I, I, I'm not blaming. I'm not going to blame Android for that. I think that's just a nook. You can blame thing. Android. <laughs> that's fine. Well, one well one thing that we we mentioned it earlier, so it kind of spoils mentioning it here. But you did say that. Uh, what well, we did say that Siri uh, can be activated on the when the device is locked. I mean, this is obviously an intended feature, but as we saw. Yeah, you can because, because you can something. do so much more than with Siri than you can than you can with voice control. You have the potential to really mess up <laughs> someone else's phone or mess up someone else's social life. Right, exactly. It's a really big double-edged sword because I use that pretty extensively in voice. Uh, I use that pretty extensively in voice control when I'm driving because if I if I just leave work and I need to make plans for doing something before I get home, I can pop open. I can fire up, pull out my phone, fire up voice control, and say "call Ryan" and get information as I'm as I'm on the way home. Yeah, it's I guess it depends on the people who are are likely to pick up your phone and your 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 willingness to set it down and leave it unattended. Yeah, yeah, that is the thing. Like my phone is never out of arm's reach for me. Well, may, maybe two arms reach, <laughs> but is it? within someone else's arm's reach. Right, exactly. As long as it's not outside of diving distance or, you know, flying tackle distance or something like <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly. But no, I mean, a lot of, a lot of uh, people that say are less geeky than us, <laughs> they're, you know, they'd be okay, you know, with maybe like leaving their phone on their desk, you know, at work and going and doing something. And you probably do that in a workplace where you would feel comfortable that people wouldn't just walk up and start messing with your phone. But who knows? I think my favorite thing to pull would, would be uh, taking pictures on someone's camera roll. <laughs> that would be, that'd be really funny. And they go and uh, they, they, they... The great thing is that also, once a photo's on photo stream, uh, you can't delete it unless you delete your entire photo stream or unless you, you know, it, it falls off because it keeps the last thousand photos. <laughs> no, no, it's 30 days, isn't it? It's both. It'll always keep the last thousand oh so it's it's the ios devices that keep the last thousand and then on i on icloud it's 30 days but still for 30 days you've got your your crazy photos on their photo stream that's pretty funny one thing that i've actually found unfortunate so far is that there's been this this general erosion of again speaking music something that's pretty important to me one of the podcasts that I subscribe to was called uh, Tiesto's Club Life Podcast. It's a hour-long... He, he has a two-hour radio show in the Netherlands, but he publishes a podcast worldwide that's an hour of that show. So it's always it always misses some content that's kind of beyond the point. It, it was always a very... Beyond, beyond the obvious fact that it was a music podcast and I enjoyed the music and it was good to just fire up and walk around and leave the choice of music in someone else's hands, they put a lot of work into a bunch of technicalities of this of this podcast of this uh, l- literally the AAC file content you can you can get an idea of this online uh, they have it should be just like youtube.com slash tiesto I think and they publish the podcast as a video podcast as well and whenever the song transitions they have new artwork and then the song the artist and the song information and back in early iOS 4 releases they uh, whenever whenever you would be playing this song, there were three interesting things that would happen. The first one is when you would tap the playlist icon, the three bars, instead of showing the list of podcast episodes, it would show the chapters within the file. If you've ever listened to an audiobook, same concept. Uh, you, you have 
in this case, one chapter, one song. And so you could jump to any particular song if you were just trying to remind yourself of what a, what a particular song was because you heard it but weren't looking at your phone at the time. Um, the second feature is that, again, these were hour-long shows, but the progress bar, the scrubber bar, would not show one hour. It would show the duration of the chapter. Actually, that is hugely annoying to me. <laughs> you think so? I mean, oh, if it's I, if it's not showing the entire content of the song, you could just hit the chapter list and go forward as many chapters as you want. Uh, I actually started a question. It was a long time ago, but I was like, "How can I tell how far I am into this podcast?" And I showed that you know, I think it was like the Engadget podcast, and it was like chapter six of thirteen, you know. But some chapters are like thirty seconds long. Some chapters are ten minutes long. So you really have no idea how far you are into the podcast. And it makes it very hard to actually scrub along the entire podcast. You can only really do it within the chapter. So yes, I do find that extremely annoying. And then the last one is that just like I said in the YouTube example, they had different artwork for every single chapter in the in the uh, in the podcast, in a particular podcast episode. And when it would roll chapters, it would roll the artwork. Sometime in iOS 4, perhaps 4.3, I think, the chapter list under the playlist section went away. I, I think there was even a second time. I don't, unfortunately, I just really don't remember the specific versions, but it's just kind of been ero- uh, eroding in a way that just uh, is a nuisance to me. The most recent one, which really disappoints me, is the fact that the chapter artwork no longer changes. So it just shows the main the main cover art applied to the episode in full. It applied basically to zero second mark. I, if I remember correctly, the per chapter duration is still there, but it's the only surviving feature, and it's the least one. It's the one that I care about the absolute least. I would be fine with a sixty minute scrubber, especially considering the granularity. Where if you tap the progress indicator and drag downward, you can do half speed scrubbing, quarter speed scrubbing, or fine scrubbing. But the the artwork was the most important thing to me because it actually tells me the details of these songs because sometimes Tiesto being, you know, Holland native is a little bit hard to hear. Uh, And you have to, because he doesn't speak after every single chapter, you have to find out if he's talking about the song, if he gives the song information in advance of it or prior to it. And sometimes he teases something at the top of the show that doesn't happen until like three fourths the way through, you know, that's, that's 10 songs later. It's the mapping, the mapping just by listening, it can be particularly hard to do. But with the artwork, it was drop dead simple. Now, if I want to find something, I have to figure out where it is in the show and then go go hit YouTube and go look at that artwork because obviously a video changes. Yeah, for something like that, I completely understand how that would be useful, especially if you, you know, you're like, okay, well, I know it's in this episode. I can just jump right to the place I want to go. Yeah. I, I kind of disliked it in, in podcasts, uh, in, in spoken podcasts, because usually there aren't like clean separations between one topic and another. It's just kind of all sort of flowing together. It's the same difficulty that we have making notes for this show is finding the best boundaries, but it it just made it difficult. And I just wanted a way to shut it off. And maybe, maybe they added a way in iOS five. If they did, I, I would be very, very happy, but I've since switched to other podcasts and other apps that don't use podcast chapters. And I'm, I'm I'm happy with that solution for the time being. Of course, having you change podcasts because the Engadget did the, did the Engadget podcast kind of crumble after the Exodus occurred? Uh, well, kind of a little bit. Uh, I believe I don't think there's an Engadget mobile podcast anymore because Chris Ziegler went to this is my next, 
and the regular Engadget podcast, I think there were a few people I, I sort of recognized their names of that, that stayed. But by and large, the people that I actually like tuned in to listen to, you know, Joshua Topolsky, uh, Neilai Miller, Neilai Patel and Paul Miller, sorry, <laughs> were they they all moved over to This Is My Next. And, you know, they have the This Is My Next podcast with just as much craziness. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting what I need from there. And I don't think that they have chapters there anymore. I could be mistaken. So I popped open the music settings on my iPhone, and there is this lyrics and podcast info chooser. And we, most of us, Nathan, I don't know if you have any lyrics in your song, so you might not know this yet. But when you're playing a song in the iPod, I'm sorry, in the music app, the when you're playing a song, you have the artwork, you have the controls, and then you have the back and uh, playlist icons on top if you just tap the screen if you just tap the artwork you know anywhere that isn't a control then the scrubber and the uh the track number in the album and then shuffle repeat and genius icons will pop down on a little on a little popover in a matter of speaking but if you actually have lyrics in the song the screen will also dim there'll be a slight black transparency over the screen that will list your lyrics right i've I've seen that yeah, and this I, I just kind of wonder, podcast info, what that controls anymore, because that same feature you can do on a podcast in order to get the episode description to play on top, uh, which in my case of Tiesto's Club Life podcast is completely worthless. It just has the same Tiesto's Club Life, I think, is quite literally all it has. But I just wonder about any other podcast info that that chooser actually controls. I'll have to experiment after the show. Yeah, I'm from what I from what I I think that that switch is not new, and I think that that does not turn off the chapters. So I I did not look into it beyond the fact that it did not. Yeah, it's certainly not I new. I knew do. that much. I, I think that's been there since I started using them. Right? Yeah. All right. So I, I want to move on to our question of the week. Our question of the week is why is iOS five draining my battery so fast? And this was asked October fourteenth, two thousand eleven, by Jadels. And it's the, it goes, my wife's iPhone went from lasting a full day to needing a recharge every few hours after upgrading to iOS 5. Mine still works fine after the upgrade. What might be causing this? And basically, it seems that the most upvoted answers stem from the geofence feature that was added. So just, just for completeness, uh, the geofence feature is something that has been added to the actual operating system, but it's most present in the Reminders app, where you can say, remind me to do something when I arrive at some place or remind me to do something when I leave some place. And if you have any of those reminders set up, your iPhone, understandably, has to know where you are at all times. And that takes battery. And so the solution is basically just to turn off those reminders or turn off those location services for those reminders or just not, not to create them. I say that it's, it's a, it's an API because there are other applications that can take advantage of this as well. OmniFocus is also another one, uh, which will actually be extremely handy because you can assign contexts for OmniFocus tasks for specific, actual specific geographic locations. So, and then uh, you, you can do that on your Mac, and then it gets synchronized over to OmniFocus on your iPhone. And then when you arrive at, say, the post office or the grocery store or whatever, the, the hardware store, or you know, you go to 
you know, someplace that you don't, that you go to, you know, once every six months, you know, all those reminders that you set up for, for that specific place, your phone will remind you of, which is extremely handy. Uh, but it, again, it does cost battery life. There, the, the top, the top most rated answer is actually quite a bit more granular than that. And the, um, to take a step back, this is, this is one of those things that you hear with every single release. My battery isn't holding a charge. It's draining like crazy. Wah, wah, wah. And the common answer with this has been turn off everything you don't need. Turn off, turn off 3G if you're always near a Wi-Fi source. Turn off Bluetooth. Turn off location services in full when they really, when they really came out to a head uh, with third-party apps being able to take advantage of them. And so the, the general wisdom is brightness all the way down, Bluetooth off, and just, anything that you can turn off that you can live, that you can at least live without, do it. The most top-rated answer is actually pretty interesting to me because the specific details they talk about is something being caused by an exchange service. The, the individual, Adrian Cox, the top-rated answer is saying that my phone synchronizes with a Zimbra server set up, as, set up with exchange support. The uh, the update enabled sync of reminders, but the reminder sync didn't work. Rem- removing reminder sync from the exchange account setup has stopped the battery level dropping while I watch. My general advice is to check your mail accounts to see if anything new is being synchronized and then disable it if you're not using it. So basically what he's saying is that there was a wedge, whether it's some kind of a communication ability where it was continually... I, I, I'm basically assuming that it was continually trying to get reminders and failing and for some quirk or another, it was just causing, in my opinion, network access and maybe also location access to just fire constantly. I set up a reminder the day after I updated while I was at work, and I set it for uh, when I leave work, I think I said something simple that I think it actually said go home, uh, and, and I bound it to the current location, which was my office. And I got maybe 10 seconds away and then the calendar the the traditional three uh three note calendar chime played and it popped up and uh, i pulled out i looked at my phone and it said go home uh so and i don't really remember a measurable battery life difference that day probably because there was also really no location movement so when it looked where i was i hadn't changed the granularity was such that i was still within our Wi-Fi access point, which has location information bound to it. And perhaps if it uses GPS, it didn't change drastically at all because I was just walking around my office. Actually, um, I, I have something to add that I, I observed um, back when I first installed iOS 5, I set up um, a, a geo reminder, <laughs> but I had also, I don't remember why, but I had also turned off the Wi-Fi. And then, so when I left, I, I was kind of expecting my, my phone to let me know, oh, you know, when I, when I, when you leave, do this. And then, but it, it didn't say anything. Mm, and so it's only using Wi-Fi triangulation for that. Exactly. Or Wi-Fi. Well, it, it wouldn't be cellular either in that case. It's Wi-Fi only. Right. Exactly. Now, obviously running your GPS all the time, you know, just to determine when you leave a specific spot, it's going to drain your battery so fast that you know, your phone is going to be dead before you get the message. Right. Uh, so it's understandable why they did that. But it's it's also interesting that uh, potentially if you go somewhere that doesn't have uh, geolocated Wi-Fi stuff, that either your reminders won't fire or suddenly your phone is going to start draining tons of battery life because it's trying to figure out where you are to figure out if, you, if the reminder is supposed to fire. Well, see, and this is the other interesting thing that I was when I was watching my phone on 
Thursday, is that I thought at first when I thought I said a reminder uh, that I thought I saw that the location error was uh, was omnipresent. That's actually not the case. What had actually happened is that I was having a I was having a sync quirk, so I just kind of cut my losses and restored my phone from scratch, set up as a new phone, and. I had logged in, you know, I logged into all the services I use the majority of the time, Google services, Facebook and whatnot. And I had logged into Google Latitude, uh, forgetting that the default is that it will run all the time. So the reminder, exp- the reminder went off and I got home. And then when I started thinking about it again, when I was using my phone, I said, wait a second, why is the location icon still there? I actually deleted that reminder too. Lo and behold, Google Latitude background updating. And I just did that by looking, uh, hitting settings, going to location, and the only uh, purple icon as opposed to all the gray ones was for Google Attitude. So I kind of said, oh yeah, I have background updated on, whoops, shut that off, and it went away. Unfortunately, I have not tried another reminder since that, and perhaps another test with this will be to use, uh, for me anyways, my Wi-Fi only iPad to see what it can and can't pick up to, and just kind of see how that works. What I'm what I'm actually really curious about is... Um if these if these uh, geo reminders would work for the iPod Touch, uh, especially if you um, if you don't have have access to the the Wi Fi networks, but you know, obviously you can identify them by their um, you know BSS IDs and all that stuff. If when you're setting that reminder and you do have internet access, it actually pulls down what it thinks that the BSS IDs for that reminder location are. That would be super cool. So it pulls those down, and then you know it does the periodic location checks. And if it if it determines that you're in that location, then it fires the reminder. After this show, I'm actually going to run off uh, quite a way south of me down to the Colorado Springs, and I could probably what am I going to be closest in range to? That's a business. I mean, obviously, I can set one for my destination. I don't remember if we've ever submitted uh, Skyhook or any other location information for their access point, but it also and even if I had, it might have changed since then. So, yeah, this will be a good test that we can follow up on. I will use my iPad instead of my iPhone. And, man, th- th- there's a lot of details to consider here because... It, Is your iPad cellular? No. Oh, and, and, and that's the point. There's, there's two considerations here. The first one is that uh, my Wi-Fi iPad will still have known network stores. So the the point I was going to make was a really interesting test would be to, if what you said is true and it pulls down BSSIDs in advance, if with the normal browsing, if it will just pick up to the fact by seeing traffic, uh, but not actually being able to communicate with anything, if that'll fire the reminder. This is This is one of those subjects that people could just come up with. 10 different scenarios and test them all exactly as you said can the ipod touch do it can the ipad do it what does it need to know in order to do it in advance can it is is there is there anything that needs to know in advance or as i just said can it just see the network traffic and then say oh hey this is in the area that you set a reminder for okay you need to know about it right this is yeah this, this is one of those topics that'll just spiral into something that could create a very very comprehensive documentation source well, this is one of those. This is one of those things that actually makes knowing your approximate location and not necessarily being connected to a network useful. Because most most applications for location information either require your exact information or need to share or upload that information 
to uh, for some reason. And these reminders are basically um, the only ones I can think of off the top of my head where not being connected to any network and having an approximate location are sufficient. So what's maybe even more amusing about this is that wasn't local notifications one of the one of the poles in the 10 of iOS 4 when they gave that presentation? I don't think so. Hmm? I'll have to go back to it. I, I seem to remember local, local notifications being one of the poles in the tent, and yet it's taken until iOS 5 for it to actually meaningfully be put to use, and mostly because Apple spearheaded it so that other people like Foursquare and whatnot are like, oh, hey, this is a cool feature. Let's put it to use. I just, I just wonder if something technically has changed that's made it feasible or if people just really didn't have these ideas already. Uh, my guess is the OmniFocus guys, if they knew, uh, if they had the capability of doing this before, then they would have. That's just my, my theory. I, I, I don't think anything like this was available for developers on iOS 4. Well, if any of you wrong. listeners are iOS developers and want to get in touch, podcast at, at <laughs> askdifferent.net. We would love to ask you some of these questions. Exactly. So our app of the week. The app of the week is called Moo. And it's built as the missing markdown editor for web developers. And it's a very simple app for Mac. It's it's basically, you open it up and you get two panes. And the left half of the window is source code, and the right half is a rendered preview. And in the left half, you type your markdown code. So markdown is what uh, ask different other Stack Exchange sites use for questions and answers. And it's a markup language for... for um, you know, you can do bold and italic and links and, and everything like that. And the uh, the supposed difference between Moo and other Markdown editors is that Moo is for web developers. And that, that from from what I've played with it, it's it's very true. Moo, um, you can put in arbitrary HTML, and more importantly, it's got some HTML export functions. So you can write something in Markdown and immediately get an HTML copy. And I think that's very useful if you if you prefer writing in Markdown or if you need to have something that is in both languages. And it uh, it's got some other features. It's you know full screen and syntax highlighting and everything like that that a, a text editor should have. It was actually kind of interesting finding this because the benefit of it is it isn't actually a Markdown editor exactly as Nathan already said. It's two pane and you can actually type Markdown into it directly. There is another an, an, another similar Markdown editor called Marked, M-A-R-K-E-D, and it, it has a very interesting feature in that you drag a file, whether in Finder or it can actually be a live application out of something like Coda or TextEdit or any other editor. You just drag the, the icon, the file icon on the top of the window, drag it into Marked's application icon. And what that'll do is it'll give you a on-save continual preview of the document. It's technically very interesting that the association works very well. It's very helpful. And again, the fact that you hit save and the preview updates just like that means that if you have it, if you have it within iShot, like, you know, two monitors preview on the right, uh, code on the left, that it just takes no time. But the rub and the difference compared to Moo is that, again, you have to have two things running, one to edit, one to view, instead of just this is my raw markdown. I need to type this up in a hurry. Markdown lets me type with good markup insanely quickly compared to HTML especially uh, or any other uh, any other scripting language for that matter that you'd use in a web environment. And you just start typing and it renders it and you're done. There, there, <laughs> There's no step two. You fire it up and you type. Okay, there is no step three. Sorry. 
So Moo is in beta, so they'll continue to add features and make improvements. And it's it's free for now, donations requested, and requires Mac OS X Lion or newer. Or, I guess there isn't newer. <laughs> <laughs> or newer whenever automatic. it finally comes out, we hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also, uh, for people that donate during the beta, they'll receive a license for free when Moo is released. But you should really view the donations as a way of supporting the developer or not getting a one cent uh copy of this app when it is actually released so url the url is moo app that's m-o-u-a-p-p dot com and if you're looking for marked if that's something that you're interested in you can find that on the mac app store this has been the ask different podcast you can find us on itunes by searching for ask different podcast you can also find us at apple.blogoverflow.com. That's our new home. If you want to get in touch with us, and we, we would really love to hear from you, just email us at podcast at askdifferent.net. And thank you, Siri, for being on the show. Goodbye. Okay. See you soon. <laughs> thanks, Siri. Goodbye, Shirley. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and thanks for listening.